38, if you would. Hebrews chapter 10. If you um, don't have a Bible and you have a phone, you can put the version app on there and get, uh, get to it, get through stuff, get to a Bible there. Um, we encourage you to get some type of Bible. If you don't have one, we've got plenty around. We'd be glad to give you one uh, to be a blessing to you. Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. And uh, we're a bunch of our youth are doing a lock-in tonight, so they're heading out for that. And uh, they're going to have lots of fun at Seeley's house. So, got a bunch of leaders over there right now. Yeah. <laughs> so, I want to talk to you about to dream again. And uh, I'm starting this series. And this is, really, this is really a series that's about rebuilding hope, rebuilding dreams. And it's also a series of messages that we're going to be doing that's going to really help you develop your faith for what God wants to do in your life and through your life. And um, I've called this series Dream Again. I believe in having dreams. I, you know, um, we're, we're all a little hesitant probably to share our dreams with people. Uh, I'm not talking about the weird ones we have. Those are always fun to tell, right? You know, (laughs) but uh, you know, the really, uh, the really, the, the, the ones that we dreamed where we really feel like this is something that we would really like to do. And uh, it seems like all our lives that uh, we deal with people that uh, bash and try to kill our dreams whenever we're dream about doing something. Um, I know my daughter, when she was younger, she went to a deal uh, that was in school, and it was one of those things where they're, they're trying to encourage kids to have dreams and goals. And she says, well, I want to play in the WNBA. And, uh, and they said, well, you'll never be able to do that. Well, why in the world do you go to a dream thing if they're going to tell you you can't do that? And, you know, and, and you know what I found out with kids? You know, if your kids are big dreamers, let them dream big. Let them dream big. And you say, well, yeah, but I don't want them to be disappointed. They will figure it out. You be an encouragement, help them dream big, help them be creative. Don't, don't allow them to get, there's enough negative stuff working against your family and your children. And you know that personally yourself, that, uh, you know, that when we have dreams, we're hesitant to share it, even with our closest family members, because they just, it seems like sometimes it's just a, a thing that we're, we're fearful of that could actually, they're going to, they're going to bash that or put it down. And so, uh, I'm going to just call this first part of this series called Dream Killers and how to overcome dream killers, what you and I, what we have to do. First of all, let me just say this, that dream killers, and when you and I deal with dream killers, they're not really after the dream. They're not after the dream. The bullseye on the target is not the dream. The bullseye on the target is your confidence. And if your confidence is ripped, you'll never get to your dreams. In fact, can I say it like this? You'll become the dream killer. Because if you don't have confidence to do it, if you don't have confidence to, to step up and accomplish things in your life that you're, that you're dreaming about doing, if we can take that confidence away from you, then here's what's going to happen. You'll stop right dead in your tracks. And that happens so often with folks. And so we need to realize that what the adversary, your adversary, is really after is not after your dream. He's after your confidence. Because if he can rob that, if he can take that confidence away from you, then you'll kill your own dream. And uh, sad to say, I know there are things in my life that, that in, in, I, I knew this was just some big thing that we were going to do. I've shared with you guys before some of the stories of 
when we came out, especially when it's something that nobody else is doing. You know, if you try to do what someone else is doing, sometimes people will be in line with that. But when you're really trying to, like our church in Marietta, when we, I knew that God had told us to build a Christian television station, and you couldn't find a church that had a Christian television station within the state of Ohio, where we were at, or in West Virginia. And I knew that God had told us to do that. And so people weren't trying to kill that dream. What they were trying to do is, is that they were speaking. The enemy was trying to kill my confidence because he knew if, if, I could, if, you could, if he could shut me up, then the dream is done. It's, it's over with. You know, Brother Osteen used to do this. Uh, he used to get, make this quote, John Osteen, out of Houston, Texas. He says, how great it is to dream the dream as you stand as a youth by the starry stream, but greater still is to live life through and at the end be able to say the dream was true. And I I think that's so powerful. You know, we have great dreams. And a lot of times we start out young in life. We've got a lot of dreams. We think this is going to be awesome. This is going to be great. Then life happens. Stuff starts taking place. Maybe we end up going through a divorce or we end up going through just some, you know, we, we have a death in our family, somebody that's really close to us, or things just start happening. It's because that's what happens in life. And when it does happen, it can really rip our confidence. I'm not going to stand up here today today and tell you, because I'd be lying, to say that my confidence has not been shaken before, because it has been shaken before. I mean, there have been times I wondered whether I was really going to make it. I mean, I wondered whether this church was going to make it. I wondered whether we were ever going to pull out of where we were. But you know, God was never, never worried about it. He knew I was worried about it, but he, he wasn't worried about it. And I saw, you know, I could sit and fret and bite my fingernails down to the bone and just, you know, struggle through. And God's in heaven going, I'm not worried about it. It's all going to, because God is ultimate confidence, right? I mean, there isn't anything. You think there's anything you could tell God that he would go, oh, that's bad. I don't even know if I could fix that. Oh, that, that sickness. Wow, that's a really bad sickness. I don't think, I don't know if I could even heal that. That's really really bad. I mean, you know, think about the miraculous things that God did through Jesus Christ. The, the, the people like the guy with the, you know, who was, um, the man that was born blind, I would just use that as an example where Jesus made mud. You know, the, there are some scholars believe that when Jesus spit in the ground and he made mud, that he was actually creating eyeballs for this guy. And you say, well, I don't believe that. Well, I don't care whether you believe it or not. It's, he was doing something with that. I mean, you know, maybe he was given, I, I suppose you could think that a mud bath might help blind eyes. I don't know, but for, I think he was actually creating eyes because where did man get created from? From the mud. Yeah, from dirt. God made us from the dirt. So there's scholars that actually believe he's just reaching down. He made a couple eyeballs and then he put them on there and said, what do you see? And the guy says, well, I don't know. You know, I see a little bit. I don't see real good. There's mud in my eye. So <laughs> he said, go wash it and then look again, you know. But, but you know, what about a kid that's born deaf? You know, you heard me Sunday talk about this little baby that was, that was born that needed, that had 26 diseases and a club feet and blind and deaf and, and, and all the things that were wrong with it. And God miraculously in just one moment. So I don't think there's anything that shakes the confidence of God. But there are plenty of things that can come along that can shake your and my confidence. So what I want you to realize, and I want all of us to realize this, you're not lacking dreams. We all have dreams. We have dreams for our marriages. We have dreams for you know, our retirement. We have dreams for our health. We have dreams for our lives, for our families. 
And there are things that we are dreaming, but what we, what we really lack is the confidence to, to, to carry those dreams out. And that's why I had you turn to Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 35, because I wanted you to see this here. He said, look, in verse 35, cast not away, don't throw away your confidence because it has a, re- a great recompense of reward. For you have need of patience that after you have done the will of God, be confident that's the will of God. Do you see it there? That after you have done the will of God, you might receive the promise from God. So you and I, we receive the promise of God because we do the will of God and the will of God is to be patient and have confidence and have confidence. So to have confidence, we got to have trust, right? And we got to believe in ourselves. And that's why we spend a lot. We got to believe in what's been given to us and our abilities. You know, that's why I talked about so much over the last several weeks about identity, why identity is so crucial for you and I. Now, there are things that we run into in life that we're just, you know, we're not going to feel real confident in because it's way out of our comfort zone. Remember, we talked about how in psychology, how that, they, they, that there's this thing called liminal space. And in liminal space, what happens there is that liminal is a Latin term for threshold, that we get in a place where we're at a threshold. Last night, I had the opportunity to talk to 16 uh, college students up at CMU, uh, football players, track players, uh, all kinds of uh, athletes, and had the opportunity to talk to them about how that in our lives, God lets us get into places where we're uncomfortable, because it's in that atmosphere of being uncomfortable that new discovery about ourselves, new discovery about God comes to pass. We don't settle down into some mundane, same old, same old. And so what God does is he'll push us in our life. And then at that point, we're going to have to make a choice. We're going to have to decide what pain we want to deal with. And there's always pain involved. Everybody say pain. There's the pain of going forward or there's the pain of going backward. Is there pain in going backward? Well, is regret a pain? Huh? Anybody deal with regret before? Man, I wish I would have. I should have. I, you know, I, why didn't I do that? How about the pain of going forward? Is there pain going forward? <laughs> you better believe there is because you're going to have everything coming against you saying, you can't do that. You can't. And yourself will be the worst critic you'll deal with. Sometimes the reason we don't share our dreams is because, one, if we don't tell anybody, we don't have to be committed to it, right? We just kind of keep it to ourselves, and we don't ever have to be committed to it. I think the other one that's a real big reason why we don't is just because of fear of ridicule, because somebody will make fun of it and give us a bad time. But remember, the enemy is not after your, not after your dream. He's after your confidence to get you to kill the dream. So let's talk about what are some dream killers? And I'm going to use, you know, I started this year talking about out of the, teaching out of the book of Nehemiah. And uh, I'm going to go back to that here a little bit tonight, maybe from some different angles. But because to me, Nehemiah is, a, is almost a prophetic book to the church today. Everything that you, that we are trying to do as God's church is being met with some of the very same oppositions that Nehemiah met. And Nehemiah, you know, this, Nehemiah is such an incredible story. Some, some of his family, you'll remember how this all happened. Some of his family comes back. They've seen the walls of, they've been to Jerusalem. They tell him about what's going on, that the walls are all down. 
Nehemiah is overwhelmed by this. He gets this incredible burden about the walls being the protection. There's no protection. And um, so he, 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 he's so heavy about this. He goes into prayer. He talks to God about it. And the burden grows. The dream grows. And he really wants to go back. But he didn't know how in the world he's ever going to be able to do it. And then God pushes him into a place of liminal space. You know what that was? The king looks at Nehemiah and says to him, what's going on? And that's a, that's a hard question. What's going on? Now, Nehemiah, he's got to face this decision. Do I deal with the pain of going back and say, I'm fine. I'm just having a bad day. Or does he deal with the pain of saying, I, the walls of Jerusalem are down and I want to go fix it. Because at that point, the king could have said, you're an idiot. You're a slave. You're not going to go do that. How dare you even 50 lashes or 30 lashes or whatever for him because of saying stupid things. So, or, or cut his head off because we know that that did happen, that they get rid of these guys by, if they screwed up, off with their head kind of a deal. So Nehemiah's in this place of liminal space and this threshold. He's got to make a decision. And he tells the king, he says, the walls of Jerusalem are down. The king, just like that, says, well, what do you need? What do you need to do it? And then at that point, Nehemiah is on his way. Now, you'd think, okay, great, man. He's got the resources of the king. He's got the king's permission. Everything is going to go awesome now, right? Because we got... I, gotta, I know God's opened this door. God's provided all the materials that we need. God's provided this great, incredible opportunity. I'm putting it all in a newsletter right now and sending it out today that God has made a way where there was no way. The problem with that is, is that he's about to meet these dream killers and to stop, to rob his confidence. And so if you... If you uh, would turn to the book of Nehemiah with me, and uh, we'll move through these quickly. Nehemiah, and I want you to look at chapter 2, and we're just going to look at a couple of verses. If you're taking notes, it's chapter 2, and we're going to look at verses 19, and we're going to look at verse 20. Verse 19 and verse 20. There are two guys that are there, um, And they begin to really, they're in the land of Samaria, which is towards the north, but they are really going to cause problems for, for Nehemiah. Their names are Sanballat and Tobiah. And when Sanballat, the Horite, and Tobiah, the servant, the Amorite, and Geshem, and uh, Arab, the Arabian, heard it, heard what Nehemiah said, they laughed us to scorn and despised us and said, what is this thing that you do? Will you be against the king. Then answered I them and said unto them, the God of heaven, he will prosper us. Therefore, we, his servants will arise and build, but you have no portion nor right nor memorial in Jerusalem. So the first thing, if you're taking notes tonight that you meet is the first dream killer is criticism. Criticism. And, you know, people will say funny things about criticism, like, well, you got to learn to take criticism. You got to, you know, they'll say stuff like, you know, eat the bone, eat the, eat the meat, spit out the bones, you know, when, when critics. But if you're writing in your notes, I, I want you just to make a subheading of this. There's a difference between coaching and critics. Okay. Critics are not trying to help you. Critics are trying to harm you. Coaches are trying to help you to reach your dream. 
you know, to, to, to say that, well, you have to learn, you know, you have to learn to take criticism would be like for me to go to Ken's house and say, Ken, I brought you a bowl, this wonderful bowl of potato soup. And uh, I mean, I made this with my own hands, but I just want you to know there's slivers of glass in it. But enjoy the soup. But make sure you eat the meat and spit out the glass, right? Well, why would, it, why would Ken take that? He, and see, what you and I do is we take criticism from people. We don't need to take that criticism. We don't... Understand now, a coach is going to say, there might have been a better way to do this. A critic is going to say, you did it wrong. So remember, critics aren't providing solutions. Critics are pointing out problems. You know, my staff will tell you that there have been times that, and they're not, I'm not saying they're critical, but there have been times that I said, look, let's not, don't bring me a problem, bring me an answer. I already know there's problems. There's always going to be problems, but we need answers. We, we don't just, it's too easy for us to get caught up in the trap of just listening to the problems. You know that, well, you know, this is wrong in the church. Well, you know, this is wrong. I don't like listening to preachers that are pointing out everything that's wrong with the church because I don't want to just talk about what's wrong. I want to talk about what we need to do. How, okay, great. So you pointed out a problem, but see, if all you do is point out problems, you're just a critic. You're just a critic. And, and, and you know, the problem with critics, have you ever like tried to like, um, I don't know how they get this title, but have you ever like tried to decide what movie to go to based off what critics have said? I have. I'm like, oh, I really can't wait till that movie comes out. And then you start reading critic reviews. This movie sucks. This movie is the worst thing. This is a boring script, blah, blah, blah. And then I go to the movie and I'm like, well, this isn't at all like what the critics said. This is awesome. This is a great movie. I really enjoyed this. Sharon and I, we, we were good. I don't even remember which one it was, but there was just, I mean, they, the, the critics were just like totally against it. They didn't like it. You know, um, I think it was Batman versus Superman or something like that. And if you went off what critics say, we would have never went and saw it and we would have missed out on the enjoyment of going to it. Critics only point out what, were there flaws in the script? Were there things that weren't? Yeah, absolutely, but show me a movie that that's not true in, that there's things that you could find wrong. Look, if we want to put you under a microscope, we can find all kinds of things wrong with you, right? All kinds of things. I don't like looking too close in a mirror because, you know, when you start looking, you're going to start finding stuff, right? Oh, man, what is that? An age spot? I'm not old enough to have age spots yet. Come on. Another hair fell out. Oh, no, what am I going to... You know, see, if, you, if, if a critic is just going to point out what's the flaws of what's going on. But a coach is going to say, look, hey, let me show you something. Let me, let me just throw some ideas. What, is there something better we could do here? Is there a better way to make that happen? Why do people criticize? Because not everyone can handle and celebrate your dream. People just can't handle it. Sometimes they can't handle it because maybe you made some mistakes in your past. And that happens. You know, Sharon and I are going to celebrate uh, here uh, 36 years of marriage in August. This uh, couple weekends ago was when I met her, 4th of July. I met her uh, in June 20th, I think it was. 
the 27th, I just made a real determination that I was going to marry this woman, and I was leaving for the mission field in August, uh, the 16th, was it? And, uh, and so I put God on a timeline. And uh, I remember telling my mom that this is the, I, I'm on June 20th, my birthday, saying to my mother, uh, Mom, this is the woman I'm going to marry. Now, and uh, July the 4th, uh, this coming week, um, I proposed to her in the car. And, uh, and um, we got married August the 8th. So, I mean, it was really quick. And God did a quick, but it needed to be quick because of the way things were going in our lives at that time. But I can remember that I shared with my mom, and my mom was like, that's awesome. Good. But my mom knew that there were other women I thought I was going to marry too. Right? I mean, you, you know, I mean, it's not like for everybody. Now, for some, maybe it's like, you know, one and done, and you figure it out, and you're engaged, and that's it. But sometimes, you know, you're trying to sort out what kind of person you want to spend the rest of your life with, which it's very difficult when you're young to figure out what the rest of your life even means, okay? Um, so, we, you know, so I, I mean, there were other girls that I thought maybe were the ones that, that I was going to marry, but my mom could have said, uh, I don't think so. You know, you've said that before. I mean, maybe you've made some mistakes in your past. You've said some things and it didn't come true. It didn't come to pass. And so, you know, you deal with, with that aspect of it. I had some family members that I told I was going to marry Sharon, and all they did was point out what was wrong with her. You know what I told them? Don't come to the wedding. Because, hey, look, I love my family, but I don't need my family to be my critics. I didn't ask them to be my critics. I asked them to be my family. So I don't put up with none of that. Sharon will tell you, her family, my family, we put up with zero. When When I pastored them in my church, they were, did not get to be critics in the church. They could bring solutions, but they couldn't just come into my office and blast every little thing that was wrong. Wish I could get a good amen tonight. It's getting quiet in here. Sometimes people criticize you because of past mistakes. You know, in this one in dealing with, especially just this, this attitude with criticism, failure can become a real problem for us because we all fail, but we're not failures. And I know you, we've heard that before. We're like, oh, yeah, well, that sounds really awesome. But, here, but here's the thing. We don't have it all figured out. Some, a lot of what we're doing is just us trying to figure it out. You know, you, it's like these kids I talked to last night, these college kids. I said, someday you're going to get married, right? And, you know, you love each other when you get married, but you're totally incompetent. Well, you are, because change leads to incompetence. It always does. Change leads to incompetence, because you've never been there before. You don't know what it's like. I mean, you know, we can be all crazy about the Israelites and how they acted when they went, were supposed to go in the promised land, but this was a big change for them, okay? They'd lived in wilderness living for a long time. So, I mean, this is a big adjustment here. So, Change always leads to incompetence. When I married Sharon, man, I couldn't love anybody more than I loved her, but I argued with her all the time. We fussed about stupid stuff. And it wasn't until I actually started getting some competent people to talk to me about my incompetence. And you always have to have that. Amen. That's why the church family is awesome. Now, not everybody. You never go to your peers for competence. 
you know, people on the same playing field with you, <laughs> don't do that because they'll always tell you the wrong thing. Uh, they, they just will, okay? They're there for support and encouragement. They are not there for competence. You go to people that are way above your understanding and ability for competence. So, I mean, I went to some guys that have been married for a while, and I said, what in the world am I doing wrong? And he said, well, this is what you need to do, and this is if you start doing this, and just think about doing this. And, I, and, and you know what? He didn't know my marriage, Chuck. He had never seen Sharon and I in an argument. He didn't know, but he knows what happens when a man and a woman get married. Now, you tell me, does change lead to incompetence? You get in a new job, you don't know what you're doing completely. I mean, you may know some stuff, but you don't know. You're not familiar. You go to a church that you've never been to before. You're totally incompetent. You don't even know where the bathrooms are. That doesn't mean you, but, but that's not an excuse to stay incompetent, all right? See, for, 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 we have to understand that in the midst of all of this, that criticism can really negate our confidence. I really strive to keep people that are critics away from myself. Well, pastor, you need to learn to listen to your critics. No, you do not. You do not. One, you're critical about yourself enough as it is. Nehemiah had this great vision, and immediately he's met with criticism. They laughed him to scorn. And had he given in to that, it would have been over with, What right? He just says, I'm going home. Tail between my legs, I'm done. I'm out of here. I'm not dealing. I can't deal with this. But, buddy, I'm going to tell you right now, when you have a dream, that you're going to face criticism. Let me say it maybe a, a different way. If you're not facing a battle of criticism, you're probably not dreaming anymore. You've just given in to life. You're just given in to whatever happens. And I'm telling you, I believe, if you just give me the the permission to help you over the next four weeks, I'm telling you, those dreams can come back alive. They could come back alive and I'll help you. God will help you. I'm praying God will help you. That dream of a business or that dream that you had of ministry or that dream that you've had, whatever that is, a family, all of that stuff that's tried to, that's convoluted and confused it and bound it up. Look, I'm telling you, you will dream again. You will dream again. There is nothing more dangerous in this world than a person with a dream and has confidence. And I'm not talking about you and I just having confidence in us. I'm talking about having confidence in our God. Look at Nehemiah chapter 4. We'll look at number 2 here. Nehemiah chapter 4. Are you getting anything out of this tonight? All right, Nehemiah chapter 4. And uh, I want us to look at verse 3. Now Tobiah the Ammonite was, was by him. And he said, even that which you build, if a fox go up, he shall break down their stone wall. They got part of the wall done. He said, he shall break down the stone wall. And and Nehemiah responded in verse 4, Hear, O our God, for we are despised and turn their reproach upon their own head and give them for a prey in the land of captivity. Here's the second thing that we deal with whenever we have a dream. This is a dream killer, confidence killer. And that is not just criticism, but doubt, doubt. Now, look, you're going to have doubt enough. You know, it's interesting. Jesus said in Matthew or in Mark uh, chapter 11, 
he told us to have faith in God or have the God kind of faith in verse 22. Verse 23 says, whoever says to the mountain, be removed, be cast into the sea, and don't doubt in your heart. Why did he say that? Because he knew you would. It's there because he knows you will. It's not so much that you won't doubt. He says, just don't let the doubt reside and not doubt in his heart. And then he turns it and says, but believes the things that he says shall come to pass. He will have whatever he is saying. So what he's telling us is, is that, look, anytime you get into any kind of a dream, a faith project, there are going to be doubts that come, but do not allow the doubt to become resident. Because if you allow the doubt to become resident, eventually doubt will move in and become president. And when it becomes president, it's now in charge of what's going on. You don't want doubt to rule. You're going to face it. I got doubts. Hey, look, I'm not going to lie to you. We all deal with doubts. I doubt, you know, uh, uh, you know where are you, God? I've, there's things that go on in our family sometimes. I'm like, Lord, are you doing anything about that? I mean, I'm praying. I pray every day. I'm up every day praying in the early morning. And maybe I don't see things changing like I thought that they should. But that doesn't mean God isn't working because there's so much more going on than you and I know. We're so finite. God is so infinite. We're finite. That means that we, we just have a limited view of what's happening. Right? You don't know right now with some of your family members that God doesn't have an evangelist who's, you know, doesn't look like an evangelist that's preaching the gospel to one of your family members right now, and they're going to give their heart to Christ tonight. You don't know that, but you could sit here and just be like, I don't, it don't look like God's doing a thing, man. It's a mess. You, you could be, look, you could be sitting here tonight with this gigantic hundred thousand, hundred twenty-five thousand dollar need in your life. I mean, a miracle need that you have in your life thinking we're done for this. I don't see how this is going to happen. And God's out there already working. God's out there already working. He's already got angels pulling things together. Things are beginning, and you don't even know that. And I'm going to tell you, I can testify that that's a fact that God does that. I know, I'm, I'm, I'm just, Chuck and I, Chuck was here. He saw it happen. Uh, Sharon was here that day. We had a, like a $4,000 need. I mean, Carrie said, look, we got a, we, we need, we need a miracle. And when Carrie says that we need a miracle, we really need a miracle. And uh, so she said, we, we really need a financial miracle. And so we're all in here praying and, you know, we're like, God, we thank you that you provide. And, and, and the Lord had me look at this one verse and it was about the loaves and fishes and the, the little boy. And the little boy is, um, he's, uh, he, the Lord says to the disciples, um, feed the people. There's 5,000 of them. And in, in, I think it's in Luke's gospel, and there's a little line that's added in there. And he said this to them, knowing what he would do. He said this to them, knowing what he would do. So he already knew how this was all going. He knew they were going to go, we, well, what are we, we don't got enough money to feed all these people. And look, we just got these two little fish and a five loaves or five, fi- five, what is it? Five, five loaves and two fishes. Okay. So you know, we just got this little boy's lunch. That's all we've got. But he already knew what he was going to do. 
So then he says, well, then, you know, and then he feeds the 5,000. So I'm reading that, and I pray it up front, and I'm just like, Lord, you already know what you're going to do. And we get done with prayer, and I mean, I'm still having all kinds of doubts, you know, because, you know, that's the battle that we deal with. And, and all of a sudden, Carrie runs across the back of the church, and she's waving a check in the air. And you know what? The whole time while we were sweating it out in that hour of prayer, uh, the whole time that we were sweating it, because mail don't come in a minute. Mail don't come in a minute. It was on its way last week. Here I'm all weekend laying in bed. Oh, Lord, I believe, I believe. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. You're the provider. Tuesday prayer. Lord, thank you. You're the provider. He already knew what he was going to do. Right. And you know what you and I, what we want to do is say, Hey Lord, why don't you tell me what you're going to do? Well, wouldn't that seem like the reasonable thing to say? I want to know everything. You tell me everything. And you know what the Lord says back to you? Yeah. Well, then you won't have faith. You won't trust me. You'll, you'll already know everything. He says, I know everything. Just trust me that the one who knows everything knows how it's all going to work out. And, and look, that's not the only time that ever happened in my life. I mean, I can tell you about the 50000 that came for building that TV station that, you know, at the last minute, I mean, truthfully, at the last minute, and it was a supernatural move from God, and we, we were able to do that. Nobody, we didn't have the money in the church. There was no way. We were strapped with a building payment that we could barely pay. So we have to deal with those doubts, things that, and what doubt really brings into our life, that, that fear of fa- failure can really, uh, can really cause train. Can, can really cause trouble for us. Doubt won't kill your dream, but it will break, it will pump, it will definitely cause you to pump the brakes in your life. Doubt will not kill your dream, but it'll cause you, you know what I'm talking about, it'll slow you down. Because you'll be like, whoa, wait, 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 wait. I mean, sometimes I think, and I, I have, Chuck and I tend to fall on the other side of this. Uh, we're, we tend to be like, let's charge in and not worry about how it's going to get taken care of. It'll be great. God, I mean, we've, like when we, I remember when Chuck and I were in here once one week and I said, you know, what do you think about turning the sanctuary? And Chuck said, let's do it. Let's do it. And, you know, then 35000 or $50,000 later, it was done. Praise the Lord. And a lot of sweat. And Chuck and I spent a lot of time here in the sanctuary moving chairs. And a lot of other people helped us with that. That was an amazing project. We tend to be that way where we'll just dive in. We don't tend to, but, but the older that you get, you're like, well, wait, let's just get, okay, well, let's get more information. Well, let's, do you know you can information yourself to death? No, stop. You can information yourself to doubt. Well, we just, well, we better find out. Well, I'd invest in the market, but you know, I heard, look, if you're going to go what, hear, what you hear in the market, you, you're going to be in big trouble. You'll be, I mean, Look, the best thing you can do if you're going to invest in the market is invest in the market and then leave it alone. Just invest. Get your figure out your portfolio, start investing in the market and leave it alone. I don't look at my portfolio at all because I won't need it until I retire. And you know what? It's a proven fact that when I retire, no matter what the market has done, even with 2008 and all the craziness that happened, that you're probably going to go between 8 to 10% increase on what you put in. But buddy, if you look at it every day, what's the Dow doing? 
What's the NASDAQ doing? What's my mutual fund doing? Oh my goodness, look, look at this. You'll be pulling money out, putting it under your, under your uh, mattress, right? Hiding it in a safe somewhere because you're worried. Look, that's what happens. We begin to pump the brain. Whoa, stop. We need to slow down. We need more information. And there are times that we do need more information. I'm not saying that we just get reckless. But, I mean, how much is enough to move forward? You know, that dream that you have, how much is enough for you to step out and do it? Well, I want to start a business. Okay, we'll do it. Well, I don't know how. Well, then learn how to do it and then do it. Well, yeah, but there's a lot of risk. Look, you're risking your life every day you get out of bed. You risk your life when you take a shower. You risk your life the minute you get behind the wheel of a car. You risk your life when you walk through, you know, a door. I mean, it's, it's, I mean, it's crazy. You know, Sharon and I, we're going to have to, we're going to be flying out here in a couple of months. We have to go to uh, uh, a meeting and, and uh, the airport we're going to fly out of, guess what airport it is? Flip Bishop. Huh? Going to Orlando, right. Yeah, okay. So they've got a stabbing at the Flint Bishop Airport, and we've got shootings at the Orlando. Oh, well, maybe we, should, maybe we should just drive. Maybe that's the best way to do it, right? No, but see, that's what happens is those doubts start coming in. You're not going to take any risk. Nehemiah dealt with that. These guys laugh at him. They scorn him. They say it's not going to work. They're trying to put doubt on his work and trying to stop him. All right, I've got to keep moving. Number three. Nehemiah chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. Nehemiah 4, 7 and 8. But it came to pass that when Samballot and Tobiah and the Arabians and the Ammonites and the Ashdites heard that the walls of Jerusalem were made up and that the breaches began to, to be stopped, that then they were very angry and they conspired all of them together to come and to fight against Jerusalem and to hinder it. Nevertheless, we made our prayer unto our God and set a watch against them day and night because of them. So here's the the third one, intimidation. Intimidation. The word my pastor had this year was is that the wicked run when no one's chasing them, but the righteous are bold as a lion. There's a scripture in the book of um in the book of uh Proverbs that says the fear of man is like a snare. Now the word snare there it, it actually means that it's like a snare, it's like a trap. It's like, a, it's like something that you're caught up in. A fear of man is like a snare. And what it does, it, in, in one translation, it says it's like the ring in a bull's nose. Have you ever seen that? You get this big burly bull, and this guy's pulling it on a rope, and he's got a little thing around in its nose that's, that's got control of it. See, when you and I, when we're afraid of people, when we're afraid of the bank, when we're afraid of family members, when we're afraid to take risk, guess what, guess what we're letting that do? We're letting that control us. It's intimidating. Now, my dad was an intimidator. He was. He was a, my dad was a Marine. Um, he, uh, he, 
he was a super intimidator. And so, I mean, he could back you down. He just knew how to, he, he knew how to do it. And so whenever, whenever he didn't like something that was going on, he gets super aggressive and he would come towards you and he keeps moving towards you and he's getting louder and louder. And you begin to back off because this is a big guy who's coming after you. And you're just a kid. Even if you're a teenage kid, you're still like, yikes, this guy's going to hurt me. That's intimidation. And so he would come after, he was a super intimidator. But here's the problem. When you're intimidated by someone, it's not the intimidation they do that gets you. It's the intimidation you think they do, that you think they will do that traps you. So now you begin to second guess yourself because you're intimidated. Well, I went to the bank before and, you know, they rejected me, so I don't know if I should ever go back again. Um, I applied for a job and, you know, they said no. And, and uh, you know, so I just have to, I guess I just am going to have to do something else. Well, let me tell you, don't allow intimidation. Nehemiah, when he faced this intimidation from these guys, they were angry. He determined to beat that intimidation, to overcome it. Because intimidation can cause you to back away. It can cause you to to not just put the brakes on, but to, to back away. And um, I think one of the things that, uh, especially people that really, um, that people that sometimes that we love can use, and I talked about this a little earlier, people that we love can use our past failures as an intimidating factor in our life. And we have to really watch that. Well, you know, you did this wrong before, so how do we know you'll do it right this time? Remember, be very careful who you go to for encouragement. But you have to beat the fear. You have to beat your fear of intimidation. You say, well, when I don't feel intimidated, that's when I'll move forward. Well, you never will. I can tell you right now, you never will. You have to push through that intimidation. You have to say, look, I'm not going to be afraid of any man. I'm not going to let anybody make me fearful. We had this one woman in our church in Marietta. In Marietta, she's dead and in heaven now, but she was a Jezebel. I mean, she I, she was a, she was an intimidator. You know, Jezebel was a, an amazing woman because Jezebel she threatened a prophet who had incredible miracles in his ministry and says, I'm going to kill you tomorrow. And he was so scared he ran for his life that that intimidating fear that came just from her. And so she was a powerful power. This woman was like that. I remember I was about 26 years old. I'm standing in the parking lot and this woman decided to tell me what I needed to be doing as a pastor. And I'm like trying to talk with her and she's like so intense. And she, and I mean, my legs are shaking and I'm thinking, what the heck? I could snap this lady in half and I don't know what the deal is. And why am I so, but see, intimidation doesn't always come from size. Intimidation, she was a very knowledgeable person in the Bible. She was a very, she prayed way more than I ever prayed. Uh, You know, so she was a, she was a, Sharon will test to this. She was a very powerful woman spiritually. And she intimidated the daylights out of me. And she intimidated most of the people in our church because of that. And until her and I had a head to head, and then that was it, actually it hindered our ministry from really growing to where it needed to go. When they were gone, things began to break loose. But, you know, the only way you can ever beat a tank is you got to become a tank. 
The only way you can fire off intimidation is you've got to become just as big and strong and intimidating as the person that you're dealing with. And so don't let intimidation back you off from the dream. Let me give you the last one. Now I've got to move on. We've got to stop tonight. The last one, and uh, this will probably be the most one of the things that we wouldn't see, but it is definitely one of the big distractions. It's in Nehemiah chapter uh, 6. Nehemiah 6. In verse 1. Now it came to pass when Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem, the Arabian, and the rest of our enemies heard that I had builded the wall and that there was no breach left therein, though at times I had not set up the doors upon the gates, that Sanballat and Geshem sent unto me, saying, Come, let us meet together in some uh, some one of the villages in the plain of Ono, but they brought they thought to do me mischief, and I sent messengers to them, saying, I'm doing a great work so that I cannot come down. Why should the work cease while I leave it and come down to you? And notice this in verse uh, in verse uh, four, and they sent to me four times, four times they asked to do this meeting. Now, here's the last one that is a dream killer, and that is distraction. These guys were trying to distract. He said, look, I've got a work to do, and I cannot be distracted by this right now. I cannot allow you guys to pull me off. So let me tell you something. Here's what the enemy will do. You will have a dream. You will step out to be moving towards that dream, and then you will get distracted. You'll have, you'll have spiritual ADD. You will get on to something else. You know what ADD is, right? Thank you. But I'm talking about the spirit. You'll have a dream. You'll start moving towards that dream. And then all of a sudden you're sidetracked onto something. It's taking all your time, your energy, and your resources. And you're giving yourself to it because it was come to the plane of Ono. Come on down. We just went, you know, hey, come on over. It's okay. It would be all right. And then you're distracted. So now you're spending more time on that than you are on your dream. And Jesus told us, look, he, he made it real clear. He said, here's what will get you, the thorns. Thorns, he said, the thorns, you know, I wouldn't worry about the stony ground. Because w- you, you guys got great hearts. You're out on a Thursday night, for crying out loud. You got, some, you got a heart for God, okay? You come out on a Thursday night, you got a heart for God. I don't know about the Sunday people, but the, the Thursday night people got a heart for God. Now, look, you don't deal with stony ground where you're like, you know, you're not receiving the word. What you're going to deal with more in your life is the thorns that try to rise up to choke the word in your life. And that's what Jesus said. He said, and so there's a ground that he says there, the the seed is sown among the thorns and it grows up and it grows. It is growing, but it can't get fruitful because the thorns are strangling it. It's just enough to keep it alive, but not enough to thrive. And God called you to thrive, not just stay alive. That sounds like poetry, but, but, but it's true. You're to thrive. You're a fruit bearer in your life. You're not just to be a, you know, a tree that just sits there and, you know, every year your leaves fall off and then you get new leaves and then new, that's not you. You're a fruit bearer. There's something you're here to do. And distraction. Jesus said, here's the thorns. Cares of the world. Cares of the world. If you spend more time watching Fox News and CNN and reading the newspaper and trying to... Look, you're, you definitely are under the worry of the world. I can tell you right now. 
Because you can't watch all, you can't feed that to yourself and not let it, it not produce something to you. Cares of the world, deceitfulness of riches. Money can, money is an awesome thing. It's a great thing. Somebody one time said that, you know, money, you know, money can't, uh, that money, uh, what was the, how that go? I forgot how it went. Money can't buy happiness. Thank you. But it can sure help you forget why you're sad. Money's awesome. It's a great thing. Thank God for it. But it can become a distraction. You start worrying about it all the time. Where are we going to get in? Are we going to have enough? Can we do everything we want? You know, on then the last one, the lust of other things. We just start wanting other stuff. You know, we, 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 in our world today, we get bored super easy. We really do. I mean, look, I, I, I know I'm not being critical of you guys because I'm the same way. During this 35-minute sermon, where have you been? Huh? Well, I was just wondering about that golf swing of mine. Or I'm, you know, I was thinking tomorrow I got to do, or I wonder where, wonder if the ice cream place will be, wonder if Merrill Dairy Bar will be open after church tonight. I wonder if, see, you, 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 you get bored so easy that your mind just goes off in other places. Wonder if my TV show. Oh, I don't want. Hope he's not going to preach too long. It's eight thirty. Oh my gosh, we're going to get out in here time to watch my whatever. Now, we get distracted super easy, right? Our mind goes off on other things. We do the same things in our lives. We're moving towards one thing, then we get off onto something else. You know, Sharon and I we've been through Dave Ramsey's uh, program, and uh, where you go to be debt free. I mean, we're going to be debt free. It ain't going to be long. We'll be totally debt free. Glory to God. Hallelujah. I mean, our credit card debts are all paid off. We've got a, uh, our via, one vehicle's paid off. Our truck will be paid off here soon. I mean, we're going to have all our debts gone, all paid off. We'll sit back down. We'll have an awesome credit report because we paid all our debts. They will love us. So we get, please use our credit card, please. I mean, there was a day they were like, please don't use our credit card. Please don't make an application. But, but now it's like we're the greatest people in the world. I mean, we, we got money, we've, we're blessed, and all this great stuff. But here's the thing. We set a goal to get debt-free. But are there distractions? Well, you know, we really, you know, maybe we should take a break from being debt-free for a while. Right? Why don't we, like, you know, let's do some stuff. Let's... Well, you know, instead of paying the bill, let's go on a cruise. Or instead of, and so what happens is we get to, and, and look, what ends up happening in our life, anything that we pull away from for a while, we'll never go back to. Yeah, I, I have couples come in my office sometimes and they'll say, uh, we're just going to take a break from each other. You know what that means? You're, you're, you're about to get divorced. Well, we just, you know, no, just for a little while. Just for a little, it's just going to be for, we just need a break from each other. We just need to, you know, we're just going to separate. It's amicable. We love each other, but we're going to take a break. I, I tell you right now, it ain't going to work. You say, well, I know somebody it did work. Okay, one time maybe it did work, but I can tell you the other nine out of ten times, it's not working. That does not work. Because what happens is, is that you're too easy to get distracted. And so the thing will happen is, is that you're going to get away from that. And then you're going to have some other honey's going to show. I always tell guys, look, you take a break from your wife. You go out. I promise you, you'll meet some other girl. You will. You absolutely will. 
and uh, you're, you're going to be off doing something else, and you're going to be focused in some other area, and then you're going to start telling yourself, well, I don't know if I want to go back to that or not. I don't know. You know, a lot of baggage there and bad experiences. And Yeah, you're the baggage. See, we pull away from something. I'm just going to take some time off from, you know, going to church. Guess what happens? I got all kinds of people along the road spiritually wiped out because they took, they just were like, no, I'm only going to take a month off. You know, pastor, just a month. We ain't going to go to church for a month. You know, and, 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 and we know, look, we love God, right? We love God, and, and we're going to just take a, a month off. And then when that month is up, guess what? It's another month. And then it's another month because you get out of the routine. Now, I'll, I'll stop with this. Have you ever done a diet and you were doing super good and then you said, well, I'm going to cheat today? Has anybody done that here? And I, I mean, I'm doing great. I've been so disciplined. In fact, I deserve to cheat today because I've done, I mean, we're the only people that tell, you know, we tell ourselves, I've done so good on this diet, I deserve to eat a whole pizza right now. Right? But here's the problem with that. You know what's the problem? Is once you cheat, you can't get back on track. You compromised it. That's right. And that is exactly what happened with these guys. It's a distraction. So you got to say no to distraction. You got to say no, 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 no. You know, we got, I got, some folks have asked, Pastor, how have you lost so much weight? Well, I lost weight because I don't eat bread and I don't eat sugar. None. I just don't. I go to people's house. Guess what they get out? They get sugar, you know, they'll go, hey, we made you some cookies. I said, you know what? I am so grateful for those cookies. Give them to somebody else, please, because I don't eat cookies. What's the matter? You don't like my cookies? No, I like your cookies. It's just that I don't eat sugar. I won't eat it. And so we'll have people say, well, would you, would you guys come over to our house? For, oh, I'd love to come over to your house for dinner. And, and they'll say, and I say, but let me tell you what I eat. Meat and green vegetables. Well, I made a pie. It's a peach pie. Don't you like peach pie? I love peach pie, but I'm not eating peach pie. I said, so everybody else can have peach pie, and you got to sit there at the table while they all got their scoop of ice cream on their hot peach pie. Doesn't that sound great? But here's the thing. It doesn't buy, I'm, I'm, I'm absolutely, I don't sit there and go, oh, I really wish I could have that too. Look at you guys and look at me. I'm so, I don't think that at all because I'll just bloat on meat. So I don't care. I'll be fine. I, I'll eat so much meat, I won't even want any peach. I'll get meat sweats. And uh, <laughs> let me tell you, uh, just as a testimony to this, I just had my blood work all done. And uh, because of staying that committed to it, my cholesterol was down. My blood sugar was all normal. I got the letter from my doctor today, and he said, you have met all goals, and you're in great shape. My blood pressure dropped down, praise God, because it was on its way up. And uh, that's what pastoring will do to you. And, uh, and having children, yeah, and eating sweets and bread will do to you. And my blood pressure was down, and I'm in all within good levels. And my doctor was absolutely thrilled with all of that. And so it was it worth it to give up the peach pie and ice cream. That's my dream. I have a dream 
I'm not done yet. I'm not done with my goals. I'm not done with life. I'm not done with the dream. I have a dream of a certain weight I want to get to and where I want to be physically and what I want to be able to accomplish. But I can tell you right now, there's all kinds of things that are going to come in the way to try to stop that dream. Big one here, distraction. Pull me off. Well, you're on vacation. It's okay. Do whatever you want. Live, you know, eat, drink, and be merry. And yeah, and then try to get back on track when you get home. It isn't going to happen. It isn't going to happen. So you have to deal with these four things. And remember, they're not after your dream. They're all after your confidence. They're all after your confidence. Number one was what? What was the first one? Criticism. Second one, doubt. Third one, intimidation. Fourth one, distraction. Distraction. Let's all stand. Bow your heads with me if you would. Father, I think of the cumulative dreams that are in this building right now. Lord, great dreams. Not just of the young, but Lord, you said even in your word that the young men would have vision and the old men would have dreams. We have dreams. We we dream things. We we see things, Lord God, that could, could be. We see them in our families. We see them in our finances. We see them in, our, uh, in business, Lord God. Possibilities. And Lord, I know tonight that every person here that has stepped out to accomplish a dream has met one of these four dream killers, that, or maybe all four of them. Father, I just pray tonight, by the breath of the Holy Spirit, that you would breathe life into dreams again. Lord, that we would begin to dream the impossible dreams, to dream things, Lord God, that it would have to have your signature on it for it to take place, a miracle. Father God, I know that you are the God of miracles. You are, as as you became known to Abraham, who, Lord, faced absolutely incredible critics in his life and even his own self being a critic of himself. Lord, how that... In the midst of all of that, Lord God, you revealed yourself to him as El Shaddai, the God who is not limited by anything and can accomplish all things. Father, I pray, Lord, that the folks here tonight, Lord, I just thank you for supernatural supply that they would be debt-free. And Lord, not only that, but that they would have the supernatural discipline Lord God, in their lives, the self-control to do what it takes to get to that place of being debt-free and not be distracted. Lord, those who have set dreams, who have dreams in their health, Lord God, who really, Lord God, have a desire like myself that I've got to have some changes here. If I don't, I'm heading down the wrong path. God, that they would dream that that is possible. And Lord God, that they would not allow distraction and intimidation and critics, people that tell them, well, I know someone that tried that and it didn't work. Lord, all that junk that tries to come at us, Father God, that they would just revive in their heart and say, I'm going to do that. That is going to happen. All things are possible. Lord, I pray for those who are pumping the brakes in their life right now, slowing down because of just the, just because of doubt. Father, I just thank you, God, that your word is going to answer that doubt in their lives and that they'll be able to say to that mountain, mountain, get out of the way. 
mountain, get out of my way, get out of my life, get away from me, be removed and be cast into the sea. I don't even want to see you anymore. Get out of here. And I thank you, Father God, that you're reviving that in their hearts in Jesus' mighty and precious name. Mighty and precious name. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. I'm going to ask tonight while heads are bowed, look, if you're facing a situation that it almost seems like a, to you at least right now, it, it feels, maybe feels a bad word, but.